This is episode number four with one of Australia's leading business coaches, Jeremy Britton. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Greatness. My name is Joseph DiBernardo and each week I'll be bringing you an inspiring person or message to help you unleash your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get after it. Helen Keller said, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. In today's episode with Jeremy Britton, we speak about his story from being a successful financial planner and owning multiple retail businesses to becoming a very successful business coach in Australia. We speak about how meditation has positively impacted Jeremy's life. We talk about how Jeremy sets up his day for success. We speak about how to overcome a scarcity mindset around money, which is something that I really am passionate about. And we talk about what Jeremy is working on at the moment to further educate people through wealth and abundance and educate people uh, in Africa, which is really inspiring. Without further ado, let's dive in and explore the chat with Jeremy Britton. Hey guys, and welcome back to Unleash Your Inner Greatness. And today I have an incredible guest on the show. Jeremy Britton is one of Australia's predominant business and life coaches residing in sunny Brisbane, Australia. At the age of 19, Jeremy started his professional career as a financial planner, going on to own six financial planning practices and multiple retail businesses. After selling his financial planning practice for six figures. He went on to study mindset, meditation, hypnotherapy, which he says helped him balance his capitalist left brain with his hippie right brain. A best-selling author of, of books such as Who's Got My Money and How to Get Some of It Back and Hot Frog, Cool Frog. Jeremy has proven it's possible to live abroad, having spent some time in Bali, living the laptop lifestyle sipping green smoothies and positively changing lives through wealth, business and life coaching. Over and above his business accolades, Jeremy has also provided education to over 20,000 children in Africa and Indonesia, which is immensely inspiring. Inspiring. Jeremy was one of my first personal development mentors, uh, introduced me to many health regimes such as uh, Sunrise Meditation, and I am super excited to bring Jeremy on the show. Jeremy, welcome to Unleash Your Inner Greatness. Thanks, mate. And um, <clears throat> might I say, it's, it's very good to see you again after so long. 
<laughs> I just wish you didn't have this big helicopter pilot thing on your face so I could really see your smile, but uh, it's all good. I think this um, big headset puts a lot of people off. I, 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 Michael Johnson made a comment about it as well, but I'll do it more for the sound quality. So Yeah, I know. You can get the most out of it. I, I, I did a, um, a radio show in New York for a couple of years and I wore the same thing to block out all the, uh, all the sound. But then you got this big thing and people do say you look like a helicopter pilot. So. Oh. I was listening to your show um, before we jumped on, actually. Um, yeah. There's a lot of inspiring interviews that you did. Do you want to, actually, why don't we start by that? Tell us a little bit about the, probably your journey. Maybe if you can take us back to, you know, your personal journey, how you got to where you are now and um, let us know a little bit about the show as well, because you, you have interviewed some inspiring people. So, I'm definitely stepping up to the plate here, trying to <laughs> trying to follow in your footsteps to interview well as well as you. Well, I, I can introduce you to David Sherman, mate. He was the um, the Aussie guy from The Secret. Oh, okay. And um, without without whom uh, Bob Proctor would never have been on The Secret. Wow. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he was an amazing guy. But I actually met David um, many many years ago. I had a, a, a bridal store back then. And um, David was actually a farmer who was getting into stocks and shares. And I'd had sort of been in there. I'd stepped out for a little while and was getting back in. So we became friends back way before, way before The Secret, like 90, I think it was 92, 94, somewhere around there. And uh, then when I saw him on the show, I was like, oh, my God, I need to catch up with this guy. I still had one of his books with his old mobile phone number in it. And just thought, hey, I'll get into contact with him. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. He, he was actually, I think he was my first guest. On and the New York radio show. Yeah, right. And what, what, was, um, what was sort of the main inspiring lesson that you took away from his chat? Oh, he was just a normal bloke. You know, he was a, a, a farming bloke. Um, he had six kids. You know, he's just very down to earth and, you know, he's very proud of his family, very connected with his, his spiritual faith and um, just a normal bloke rather than, you know, you see some of these guys and say, okay, well, it's, it's very easy for someone like, you know, Donald Trump to be a billionaire because his dad was a billionaire. It's very easy for someone like Bill Gates to be a billionaire because his dad was a billionaire and that sort of stuff. But seeing someone who's come from a normal background was very inspiring for me because I'd come from a normal background. You know, both my parents worked or, well, mum worked for a couple of years, but then after having six kids, she decided to stay home and it was just, you know, one income, lots of kids. And so we had an ordinary upbringing and then seeing someone who does amazing things who comes from that is very inspiring to me personally. And I think to a lot of other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your mum raising six kids in itself is a big inspiration. Was, <laughs> was, was, would you say that, you know, was your mum, who, who was the most inspiring person to you growing up? Was, was your mum one of them being you know, oh, definitely. I mean, you know, when you when you're a kid, you only got you know inspiration of your own your own folks until you sort of step away from that. And you know, in in my coaching practice, you know, I, I chat to a lot of people, and you know, sometimes there'll be the one who says, "Oh, well, I can't do much. I'm just a stay-at-home mum." And you know, I've got the standard answer to all of these these women who say, "I'm just a stay-at-home mum." I said, "Have you ever heard of Susanna Wesley?" And they go, "No, no. Who does she? What does what does she write? What TV show is she on?" said, have you heard of the Wesleyan Mission? Oh, I think so. Have you heard of the Wesley Hospital? Oh, yeah, there's a Wesley Hospital in every town. But have you heard of the Wesley Church? Oh, yeah, the Wesley Church in every town. I said, right, Susanna Wesley was a stay-at-home mum, and she had 16 kids. 
Wow. But she decided that she was going to spend one hour per day with every single child. So from six in the morning till seven in the morning, she'd spend with Matthew. And then from seven in the morning till eight in the morning, she'd spend with this one doing what they wanted to do. You know, one was into sport, one was into reading, one was into this. And one hour a day, she would spend with every single child developing their skill. And so, you know, one of her kids started the Wesley Hospitals. One of her kids started the Wesleyan Methodist Church. So I don't know what the other ones did, but no one talks about Susanna Wesley, but she was freaking incredible. And her, her, her husband was away the entire time. He was a traveling preacher, you know, just get on a horse and go away for weeks at a time. So she was just at home bringing up these 16 kids. But she literally changed the world. Wow. And no one's heard of her. Wow. So, you know, for, for these people saying, oh, I'm just at home bringing up my kids. Well, one of your kids could be, not next necessarily the next John Wesley, but maybe the next Justin Bieber or the next, you know, whatever. Because, um, I mean, I, I never liked Justin Bieber. I never liked his music until I watched that movie and saw his mum and how hard his mum worked and driving him around to every single radio station and pushing him in, in front of people and getting him on cameras and things like that, breaking him through because she didn't come from a wealthy background. She didn't have connections. She didn't have all of this stuff either. She just made a monumental effort to break him through because she believed he had talent. I go, wow, that's inspiring for me. It's, it's the person behind the person, you know. So, and I mean, behind, behind any of my achievements, there's also, you know, my mum and dad gave me a really good upbringing, very moral and, and spiritual and, and that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that I've learned from. You know, I've learned from you. I've learned from Tom. I've learned from Tony Robbins. I've learned from Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've learned from, you know, my, my millionaire mentors and that sort of stuff. And you bring a little bit of that all together and the recipe just keeps going, you know, you keep getting better. I think, um, mate, honestly, I, this chat is one that I've been looking forward to probably the most because after I lost my marriage in 2013, I met you at Arnold Schwarzenegger's event in Melbourne. Mm. And we, sh we, sh we shared similar paths in a sense that I think you also went through, you know, um, some some of your own personal battles with uh, relationships and, and depression, et cetera. And then yeah. I started basically following you on Facebook and I saw you meditating at sunrise and drinking green smoothies and you become an immense influence in my life. Can, for the listeners on the show, can you paint us a little bit of a picture on, on your life? Because you've had a lot of life experience and, you have such a wealth of knowledge. So I would love if, it, if it's right with you, can you just paint us a little bit of a picture on the journey as to sort of how you got to where you are now? I think it's probably, again, you know, because of, because of my upbringing, because of my parents, you know, I just learned this. This is my dog sort of trying to get into the picture. Um, yeah, you, you can do anything. You know, just try anything. And my dad was very sporty and very athletic when he was at school. He was the captain of the basketball team and, and the captain of the football team. Um, and he encouraged me to get into sport, which I was bad at. You know, he put me in basketball. I sucked at basketball. He put me into cricket, indoor cricket, outdoor cricket. I sucked at both. And soccer I was bad at and football I was bad at. But I was never sort of chastised. It was like, well, you'll find something else. You'll find something else. You'll find something else. And eventually in school, because I used to argue back with the teachers all the time, one of the teachers suggested I join the debate team. And I had a natural flair for arguing with authority, <laughs> um, which I always did at school. And from debating, I got into public speaking and, and things like that. So I just had this sort of thing, well, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And when I, I went on to university and first year at university, like I was, I was smart enough and I was getting the subjects and I was, I was getting passes and things like that, but I was just bored, you know, I wanted something more. 
And I thought, oh, you know, I could just go and start my own business because I'm cluey enough. I'm a clever bloke, you know, I could do that. Um, and of course, I knew nothing at all about business. I'd worked, you know, I'd worked at McDonald's for a few years and I thought I understood work, but I didn't know anybody who owned their own business, you know, apart from my, my millionaire mentor who I met along the way. And I failed spectacularly. You know, within six months, I'd lost all my money. And so I went home with my tail between my legs and started waiting tables and, and realizing, well, I didn't actually know the rules of the game. It's like, you know, running onto the, the football field. If you think it's soccer and you run on the football field, you're going to get creamed, you know. Um, so you have to learn the rules of the game and the rules of business are very different to the rules of working for somebody else. And the mindset is different as well. So you've got to have this mindset of, oh, yeah, I can do it or I can get it done. I can find someone who knows how to do it and they can either teach me, train me, coach me or I can pay somebody else to do it. Like if you're really no good at marketing or sign writing or whatever, but you're very good at sales, then get someone else to do that stuff. You don't have to waste your time going and doing a sign writing course. And these days it's a lot easier because we can outsource all of that stuff to the Philippines and Singapore and wherever else. You know, I've, I've had assistance in Philippines and, and in Bali and other places. Um, and these days it's very easy because we've got the internet. Back then it was a bit harder and you kind of had to do favours for people so they'd do favours for you. you know, especially if you're starting out bootstrapping your business. All of my businesses were startups. And, um, but I just, I just had this strong, yeah, I, I can, I can do that, I can do that. I had no idea how I was going to do it or how, how to do it, but I was, I'd learn along the way. And I think it's that having that courage and that's, that's a lot to do with the mindset. Like when I'm, I'm talking to business owners, it's always, you know, the, the strategies are there. Like you can read the four-hour work week and Tim Ferriss lays out every single strategy for you. And I don't know how many millions of people read the four-hour work week. Probably 100 million people bought that book. But there's not 100 million people who are working a four-hour work week or living a laptop lifestyle because they need the mindset first before they can put the strategies into place. Yep. You need to have that, that inner sort of like, yes, I can, and, and step up and, and do it. And what, what was the, you know, you work with a lot of high achievers and business owners. What's the biggest thing that they struggle with? Um, I would say it's, it's, it's 80% of the mindset. You know, if, if you've got the mindset, I'm going to do this, you will find the people to help you. You will find the techniques to do it. You'll find a way. You know, so, so many great achievements, we've had no idea how we were going to do it. You know, like putting a man on the moon or something like that. We had no idea how we were going to do it. The technology wasn't there, but someone just goes, I've got this big dream. I've got this big vision. I'm going to do it. You know, Tesla building the electric car that didn't look like an egg carton. You know, and you come up with a sport model that can actually drag off a Ferrari and win. And you go, oh, my God. You know, but there was just the desire. He wanted to make electric cars sexy. He wanted to build them from the ground up. And he, he got um, laptop engineers rather than car engineers to, to start building this thing. They had no clue what they were doing. You know, absolutely no clue. But they didn't come from the mindset of this is how we build a car. Yeah. They came from the mindset of how can we get the best power from the batteries and we'll use gold plating and we'll use this kind of technology and we'll use this sort of stuff. So if you've got a strong enough desire, you'll find a way. You know, I think that's always the, the mindset is always the thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Arnie, you know, Arnie's just brute force. Like, how am I going to make my body built bigger? Oh, well, you just lift heavy things. You know, how am I going to break into Hollywood? Will you just keep turning up for interviews and doesn't matter how many times you get rejected. You know, what's um, J.K. Rowling? How many times did she get rejected before Harry Potter was picked up? You know, and now, now she's got more money than the Queen. 
Well, actually, she did have more money than the Queen, and she's given away so much money to charity. She's gone from being a billionaire back down to being a multimillionaire. Yeah. But um, literally changed the world. But she was rejected hundreds and hundreds of times. And it's the mindset of just get back up and try again, just get back up and try again. You've got to have that coming from inside of you. And if you don't have it coming from inside of you, then find someone who can discover it inside of you. Everyone's got this little inner fire. Yep. You, know, you talk to kids who are three or four years old, what do you want to be? I want to be a spaceman. I want to be a fireman. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be this, whatever, you know. And then you talk to them again three or four years later after they've been schooled and been told, oh, you can't be a policeman because you're too short. You can't be an astronaut because you didn't study physics and you can't be this. And society tells you what you can't do. And if you start believing that crap, <laughs> you know, you go downhill. So I think, you know, um, Nick Halleck and, you know, there was no way he was going to be an astronaut, but he just had the burning desire and would not take no for an answer. So the US government says no, then you find another government. You know, there's always a way. If you really, really want to do it and it's important to you, then you'll find a way. Yeah. So when, when they struggle with the mindset, Jeremy, what process do you take them through? Because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show. Mm. What process do you take them through? So is it more, uh, talk, us, talk, me a little, talk through a little bit more about the mindset. What specifically are they, do they struggle with? Is it? Is it self-belief? Is it um, limiting beliefs? Is it fear of judgment? Is it fear of success, fear of failure? Is there something specific that you find your coaching client really need to push? All of those. Yeah. You know, all of those to a degree. For some people, it's much more of the fear of success. Um, like, you know, I'd love to be a millionaire, but what if my friends judge me? And, you know, I mean, you look at the societal conditioning that we have. I always use the, the Scooby-Doo example. So people who have listened to my videos before, like when you're watching Scooby-Doo, the kids are trying to find out about the ghosts and the goblins and the zombies and whatever. At the end of the show, they always pull off the mask and, oh, it's the real estate developer who is trying to scare people away so he could buy the houses really cheap and then develop them. And the rich guy is always the bastard, you know. And in the TV shows, a lot of the TV shows, Rich guys are always shown as corrupt and mean and evil and that sort of stuff. And then there's the hardworking cop who's, you know, down on his luck and his marriage is just broken up and he's got no money and has to buy a secondhand gun and go on the rampage and that sort of stuff. So Hollywood's kind of reinforces this idea that being poor is noble and being rich, you must be a bastard. But then when you actually get out in the world and you start to meet some of these guys and my millionaire mentor drove a really nice car and he had a skyscraper in Sydney, North Sydney with his name on the side, like he was super mega wealthy, you know, um, but he wasn't a bastard. He donated to charities. He was good to his family. He was really nice. He always had time for me. And, you know, the, the amount of money he charged per hour, there's no way I could afford that in a month, you know, but he'd sit down and have, have chats with me and stuff like that. And some of the people that I've, that I've met who are really, really wealthy are really nice. And you find out, you know, like Oprah. Do you think Oprah is corrupt and Oprah sells drugs to school children or something like that? You know, you might not agree with Bill Gates vaccinating children in Africa, but he's doing what he believes in. You yeah. know? And, and Branson and these people are, are very, very generous and very kind and they're trying to do what they believe in. I don't necessarily believe in all of this um, political stuff and some of these rich people getting involved in, in women's bodies and, and people's rights and things like that, but they're doing what they believe in and they're not necessarily trying to be bastards. You know, even Hitler didn't try to be a bastard. He didn't get on stage and say, I'm going to be a prick and kill all these people. So I'm doing this to help 
our people by getting rid of these other people. He's trying to do the right thing. Not that I'd say emulate Hitler. Um, But there's this conditioning that whoever's rich and whoever's powerful must be some kind of ratbag. So you don't want to be like that. So you don't want to be a ratbag. You don't want to be a bastard. So therefore don't be rich. But you can be rich and not be a prick. And there's a lot of people who are poor people who are mean and nasty and steal from you and rob you and kill you and that sort of stuff. And that's what they don't focus on. You know, they don't have TV shows about the crackheads who run New York. So fear of success is a big one. I I feel it's perpetuated by a lot of the Hollywood stories. Um, Fear of failure, definitely, because we're taught that as, as kids, you know, try, try again. And if you don't succeed, then quit and cover up all evidence that you even tried because you'll be embarrassed and people tease you. Remember that time when you wanted to go on an American Idol or remember that time when you thought you were going to be a famous author and you went to three publishers and got rejected three times and people would tease you about that. But JK Rowling just kept going, kept going, kept going because, you know, she didn't have that fear of failure. She's just like, I'm going to keep doing it until I go. So a, a lot of my clients... You know, I'd be saying to them before I, I discovered my right brain, I'd be just saying to them, just do it, just do it, just do it. And they'd have a million reasons. They'd turn up late, they'd, they'd get sick the day before, they'd have a little bit of a tickle in their throat or a little bit of a bug in their tummy and they just, oh, I won't go and I won't do it, I won't take the opportunity. Everyone who fails has got a million excuses and justifications for why they failed. Yeah. The people who succeed will tell you the same stories. Oh, I had food poisoning the night before my interview and I, you know, I was like sick as a dog, but I still showed up. Yeah. So when I discovered hypnotherapy and meditation, all these mindset tools, I was just going, oh my God, this is just amazing. You know, this is like almost 99% of the actual secret is having the mindset and then taking the action. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of analogies out there, but yeah, you walk outside, it's a sunny, beautiful day, but yeah, that's not going to do much until you grab a magnifying glass and then you focus that. So it's all there. The power is all there. But once you get that overwhelming burning desire and to say, this is where I'm going to channel my energy and it doesn't need to be that forever, you know? So, I mean, even Tesla's got multiple companies. Branson's got multiple companies because when he was a teenager, he was passionate about music and then he became passionate about this and became passionate about water and the environment and, you know, airplanes and God knows what else move on to different things. I'm passionate about different things than, than what I was when I was 15, 16 or 20 or 30 or, how old I am now, <laughs> but mindset most definitely. And it's, it's amazing the people who don't realize they have mental blocks yep. and it's only when someone points it out to you and you need an unreasonable friend, you know, you need someone who can walk up to you and say, listen, dude, you know, you need to go and take the bar. You, you can't show it work like this. You, you smell. Other people won't say that. They'll be too polite or people who don't know you won't say it. So you need someone who can actually just tell you, Hey, I think you've got a block with this. You need to talk to someone. And, um, you know, I've, I've found through my own studies and through my own research and also there's a lot of, a lot of data out there that talking to counsellors and therapists and rehashing the problem has around about a 60% success rate over a period of three, four, five years. Uh, hypnotherapy has, I think, a 90% success rate within six sessions. Wow. Because you're dealing with the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind is incredibly powerful. You think of the times... When you, know, you get in the shower and you don't go, oh, I'll wash my left hand, I'll wash my hair. I'll... You're not thinking about what you're doing in the shower. You're on automatic pilot. Your body is just washing itself. The subconscious mind is just washing itself. And a lot of people have these, what they call shower thoughts. You have these flashes of inspiration because your brain is freed up while you're on automatic pilot. And a lot of times you're driving home from work or you're driving from work, from you know, home to work, something like that. 
you're in automatic pilot. You're changing gears, you're changing lanes without thinking, you're stopping at the red lights and you suddenly go, shit, how did I get here? You can't remember how you got there because your brain took over, the subconscious brain took over. And you have these amazing thoughts while you're out driving on the highway because your mind is freed up. Uh, this, the subconscious mind is, is more than 90% of, of our brain. And rather than just talking to a counselor, talking to a therapist and going through the conscious part of the brain, and this is what I'm thinking about, you want to find what you're not thinking. What's the automatic programming? After years and years of watching Scooby-Doo or watching Scrooge McDuck, who was a real rat bag, or watching all these Hollywood movies and, and having this programming that rich people are bad, horrible, I don't want to be bad and horrible, so therefore I won't be rich. You know, but then again, what is, what is wealth? I mean, Susanna Wesley didn't have, you know, a couple of dollars in the bank, but changed the world. Yeah. So spending time with her kids and, and changing the world in that way, that's what's wealth. And that's, that's what I came to realize in, in, in my twenties, I was just all about the money. That's why I went into financial planning, you know, cause you get to meet millionaires and billionaires. And if you're selling cars or selling houses, once someone's bought 10 cars, once someone's bought 10 houses, they kind of stop coming to you. But if you're a financial planner and you turn their 1 million into 10 million, they'd come back and they say, show me how to make a hundred million. And they come back and say, show me how to make a billion. And they never, ever stop coming. So you're in that kind of business. If you work with money, you'll never, ever stop. And you just get this, I guess it was, for me, it was just all about the money until I, I had a heart attack. Um, I had a divorce and I was 33 years old and going, oh my God, I've got three kids. My wife's just gone. I'm lying on the operating table and going, holy shit, what do I do with all this money? It's useless. And that's when my health became really important. That's when my relationships became really important. And I redefined what wealth was and said, okay, if I only ever work and, and make $30,000 a year for the rest of my life, but I have, I'm surrounded by love and I'm super healthy, then I'm wealthy. You know, but what if I could have it all? What if I could have enough money to do whatever the hell I want and good health and good relationships? You redefine it rather than saying, I've got to sacrifice my, my health to chase after money. And a lot of people do that. They work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I did. And lose their relationships and lose their health to try and get money. And then in later years is when they start going, oh my God, I need to focus on the health now. And they spend all their money focusing on the health. But you get the balance right. Whatever is important to you, you know, whatever is most valuable to you, that's what wealth is. That was a big answer. <laughs> it was, you know, reflecting a lot because I, I remember one thing I took away from something that you said in the past was of all the guests that you interviewed, there was one thing, there was one trait that you found that they did succinctly, all of them. And you mentioned meditation, which blew your mm -hmm. mind. I remember you saying that you'd interviewed all these mega successful people yeah. and the one thing that was in common was meditation now mm. you meditated at sunrise uh for how many days a thousand consecutive days or a thousand yeah there was a thousand consecutive days when they did the doco um i sent the film crew down but i ended up doing about 1500 days in a row so that was like there was there was hurricanes cyclones some days beach closures i'd just climb over the barriers it's it you know extremes of, of weather but every single day, I just did it. So like 1,500 days in a row. And is meditation, is meditation something that you're an advocate for for your business clients as well? Because it's really topical at the moment. It's becoming quite, you know, our mutual friend Tom Crone's producing a film on it. 
um, and mm. it's positively what, what positive impacts it had on your life and how has it benefited you? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of two questions, but yeah, I mean, med- meditation back when I started doing it, it was one of those things that you know, only, only hippies and, and, and Buddhists did that. Um, and you know, it wasn't okay for, for normal people. It wasn't okay for Christian people to, to meditate and, and that sort of stuff and to do yoga. Uh, it's become much more mainstream now and it's in every single magazine. You know, Commonwealth Bank has got mindfulness programs. BHP has got mindfulness programs for the executives. And it's, as I say, it's, it's in not just the hippie magazines, it's in the mainstream media as well. Everyone's talking about meditation, mindfulness, stress reduction, that sort of stuff. But, you know, go back 10, 15 years ago, it was very much an underground thing. And this is why most of the people didn't talk about it until someone asked them, you know, when I asked Arnie, was he a meditator? And he said, yes, but no one had ever asked him that before. Um, and, and when I asked the, the four ingredients, Rachel, you know, what, what type of meditation did she do? And she answered and went, Hey, look, I've been interviewed 400 times. And no one's ever asked me what type of meditation, but I just assumed that she was a meditator because there's no way you could be that massively successful and stay on an even keel without having a breakdown. You know, and um, Tony Robbins' son, Jarek, he does a particular chant style of meditation. Someone else does a walking mindfulness meditation. So all of these super duper successful people were doing it, but they just weren't talking about it. And even if you go back, I mean, a lot of us sort of read Think and Grow Rich when we were sort of 18, 19 years old and didn't really get it. And like think and grow rich. So I just got to think about being rich and I'll get rich. But if you go back and read the book, he's talking about visualizing. He's talking about imagine you've got a board of directors for your life and you've got Abraham Lincoln and you've got this guy and you've got this guy and you've got this guy. And he's talking about visualizing and meditating and, and manifesting that sort of stuff, which back in 1930s, the Catholic church was totally against that. So he couldn't call it meditate and manifest. He had to call it think and grow rich and then write in a secret code because the, the Catholic church was actually persecuting people who they saw as, you know, heretics back then who were meditating and, and doing yoga and chanting and that sort of stuff. So, but for, for me, I mean, after, after losing my, my money, losing my health, losing, losing my wife, um, we had a, a great, great divorce settlement. She took all the money and I kept the kids. Um, and then a couple of years later, she actually came back for the kids. So I was living, you know, after I lost basically everything, I still had my business. Um, I was just hanging on by a thread, but I was, I was getting up every day for the kids and building this empire for the kids and helping my clients for the clients. And, and that was my drive. And then a couple of years later, I lost the kids and I was, I was actually suicidal. I was, um, and I was thinking, I was, I was planning out how I was going to throw myself under a bus or whether I was going to jump off a bridge or, you know, what, what am I going to do to cause the least mess, the least upset to whoever finds my body and this sort of stuff. And I had heard about this, um, this meditation, you know, silent retreat. Um, I thought, yeah, that sounds sort of interesting. And the people who'd done it said it was, it was so bizarre. It was like walking on the moon. And you can, after walking on the moon, you can never come back to the earth and look at the earth in the same way. Because the astronauts come back and they say, we don't see countries anymore. We don't see race anymore. There's just all these little people living on this little blue ball, you know. Um, and so it changes your perception forever. And I thought, okay, well, I can put off killing myself for 10 days. I can go and do this silent retreat and then I can kill myself, you know, in a fortnight's time. That's fine. Maybe this will change my perception. Maybe it won't. Um, but I'll give it a go and then I'll top myself. And um, I went to this thing and it was, it was basically all or nothing for me, you know. And people think meditation is just sitting around with your eyes closed. It's like having a sleep. But it's hard freaking work. And the first hour in meditation, 
I was just so uncomfortable sitting still and not actually checking my phone, not checking my email, not reading the newspaper, not talking to the person next to me. And sitting still and being alone with your own thoughts. And some of our thoughts are really bad, particularly if you've been through some shit. Your brain is, is saying all these horrible things to you. You're worthless. You're stupid. You know, don't try. Don't do anything. So sitting there alone with your thoughts was really uncomfortable and, and physically uncomfortable. And after the end of the first hour, I went up to the leader and said, look, you know, I can't do this. I just can't sit still and my brain's driving me crackers and he said how many times do you reckon you move during that hour and I said I don't know maybe 20 times every few minutes I was getting uncomfortable he said okay in the next hour try for 12 and the next hour try for 10 and in the next hour I could do that you know just little goal setting little jumps rather than I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow it's like just try and make 10,000 in a month and then try and make 20,000 a month you know, so little jumps. And so the next day I only moved 12 times. And then eventually over a couple of days, I could sit still for a whole hour without moving. And when your body is settled, your mind starts to settle. And, you know, people who, who take Valium and, and this sort of stuff because they can't sleep, well, all of these things are muscle relaxants. You know, they totally relax the body and then the mind starts to settle down. The anti-anxiety medications often do make you really floppy and that sort of stuff. And, and for me, after working hard and sitting you know, for up to 16, 18 hours a day in meditation uh, with some short breaks for lunch and, and, and dinner and having a shower and that sort of stuff. And I went from like, I'm going to kill myself to coming back and just walking into the world. And I was like a four-year-old kid, you know, like four-year-old kids don't judge anything. They just accept things. And you know, a four-year-old kid will, will meet you. They don't care if you're old, young, fat, rich, poor, black, white, green, whatever kids just like oh i want to hug this guy you know and and kids have this natural inst intuition for who's bad and who's good and as parents we go oh no, no no don't talk to him he's a stranger in the playground come over here and play with father o'flaherty he's a priest he's a good bloke and the kids go uh -uh, i want that guy i don't want that guy but we tell them no 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 don't trust your intuition you know and these kids start getting conditioned at the age of 4 or 5 years old but i i sort of like had scrambled all of my circuits after the 10 days of meditation and there was no chatter there was no judgment and i would just you know this i'd be the same as i was with criminals as i would with cops as i would with politicians as i would with hippies on the beach as i would be with my millionaire clients i was just in this la la land of just loving everybody and accepting everybody for who they were what they were and it was totally different totally different. and that's why i got hooked on the meditation you know and just enjoying that space of non-judgment non not judging others and not judging myself i mean i still had life i still you know had clients and, and did work and, and paid bills and that sort of stuff. But it was a totally different way of being and, and like being like a buddhist monk living in the real world because it's very easy to be all peace, love and mung beans when you're living off in a cave in Tibet and you don't have to pay the phone bill. But being the challenge is to bring that mindfulness, bring that, that way of being into our world and, and live in this world. Oh, mate, what, long into. What, what, percent, what, what percentage of business owners do you think know about meditation? You I'd say probably to... less than 5% would, would do it on a daily basis. Wow. Would have, been, would have been less than 1% a few years ago, but certainly, yeah. you know, through the efforts of, of people like Tom and Chad and these guys who are out there teaching it in the, in the mainstream now, it's, it's becoming a lot more prevalent. Yeah, um, we're still hearing it a bit on, you know, it was being broadcast on Oprah 10 years ago and people go, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I must meditate one day. But then people go and they do a meditation retreat and they meditate for, you know, two hours once and then they come back to work. And for the next three months, they don't meditate. 
and people come up to me and say, oh, yes, I'm a meditator. I say, oh, when do you meditate? And they say, oh, every second Sunday, if I remember. I'm like, dude, you're not a meditator. You imagine if you went to the gym every second Sunday, you're not going to be Mr. Universe or Miss Universe. Right? Yeah, true. Hugh Jackman does sunrise and sunset every single freaking day. Even if they're filming, he stops the production. And 5.30 in the afternoon, there's hundreds of people, you know, all the actors, all the bloody cinematographers all have to sit around while Hugh goes off and meditates at, at sunset, you know, sunrise and sunset every single day. That's what he's always done, you know, and that's why he's a super megastar who just seems like he's down to earth. You don't hear about him being like, oh, I must only have the red M&Ms and I must have air conditioning in my trailer and I must have this. You, know, you don't hear those stories about, you know, these guys who are actually super successful but still very grounded and very generous with their time and very generous with their money and that sort of stuff as well. It, it flows into all areas of life, doesn't it? Mm, mm. it really does um i'm big on personal habits and consistency just flowing on from what you said i think consistency compounds and produces really good results mate what what Mm. are your how do you set yourself up personally nowadays what are your habits you know what do you do on a day-to-day basis and how what's your advice for the listeners to create consistency within say their business because i know your passion is what wealth generation would you say and mindset i i I say wealth like using using the term loosely because if you look up wealth in the dictionary it doesn't say money it's like anything of value it could be gold and jewels if you're into that capitalist stage of your life it could be relationships health happiness whatever it could be the grandchildren having a great life depending on what stage of life and, and what your personal beliefs are so wealth for me is whatever wealth is to you and, and that's what I like to work on. But um, as far as the consistency, like I'm, I'm still meditating twice a day. Like when, I, when I came back from the Vipassana course, and I, I'd recommend that to, to everybody on the planet, you know, it's 10 days of your life. Um, you don't have to pay for the food. You don't have to pay for the accommodation. You just make a donation at the end. Um, so I won't tell you what I donated, but there was a few people who donated like 50 bucks or 100 bucks. There was one guy who donated 100,000 because it was wow. so life-changing to him. Um, and because he had a hundred thousand sitting around at the time, uh, post-divorce, obviously I didn't, but, um, yeah, it was very, very life changing. And, um, you know, if you can get there's Vipassana centers in about 80 different countries around the world. So don't use the excuse that well, it's too far away because they're like literally within five hours drive of most of most sort of major centers. Um, so as, as far as my focus, I still meditate twice a day at least. Sometimes I'll meditate three times a day. Sometimes I'm very busy or I'm traveling and I've literally only got seven to nine minutes to meditate. So there's a great app out there called Insight Timer that you can download for your phone. It's got over 3,000 guided meditations on there. And you can, you can go on the app, go, oh, I've only got 10 minutes. I've only got seven minutes or I've got an hour. And you can actually choose the length of your meditation. So you know, on, on a good day, I'll do an hour. On a bad day, I'll do seven minutes, but I'll always do something. And you talk to these guys who are the super fit guys and say, oh, what do you do when you're traveling? What do you do when you're on tour or when you're making movies and that sort of stuff? Arnie would still work out. He might only have 10 or 15 minutes to work out, but he'd still work out every single day. And the guys who are super duper healthy, what do you do when you're traveling? What do you do when you're on the road? Well, maybe the only thing open at 11 o'clock at night out in the middle of Dubbo is McDonald's. 
Well, then you go into McDonald's and you say, hey, can I have the McFeast burger, but take off the beef patty, just give me all the salad or, you know, give me all the salad and give me a fish patty in there. You can make something healthy, even if you've only got a couple of minutes, even if you look like you're out of resources. If that's your commitment, you find the, find the time you make the effort. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to um, go back to money and mindset, JB. A lot of people grow up in humble beginnings. You know, uh, I didn't grow up in a in a super wealthy family, but you know, Dad worked a few jobs. Um, my mum worked also as well to provide us a great opportunity in life. Um, you know, I think something personally I've probably battled with a little bit is scarcity mindset. I know that's a common problem. How do you how do you tackle it? The root cause of it, and how do you you know, for all the listeners out there, as part of generating, you know, wealth or investing, et cetera, um, I'm trying to tie this back to self-worth because obviously that's what the podcast's about. But yeah, over to you. Yeah. What's your, what's a bit of advice around scarcity in terms of money? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a very common one. And um, I mean, I, I was from the generation of when we were eating our food and mum would say, you know, finish your, finish your food because there's starving kids in Africa. And, you know, as, as far as I was aware, there was like this cyclone, hurricane, civil war, flood. I don't know what was going on in Africa at the time. But I actually, you know, you know every now and then you'd read these National Geographic articles and they'd say that Egypt used to be uh, this flourishing forest that was never a desert. And, you know, Africa used to be this really, really wealthy country. And I said to, to my mum and dad one day, like, when you were kids, what did your parents say to you? And they said, oh, yeah, we grew up after the, the Cultural Revolution in, in China. And, and our parents used to say, they're starving back in China, so finish what you got. The old John Lennon line. I, oh, okay. And then when I travelled to Africa, I actually asked the Africans, like, they've got no money, right? You know, I'm travelling in Zimbabwe. The, av- the average income is, is like 77 US cents a day. And in parts of the country, it's less than 50 cents a day. And I say to these kids, like, what do your parents say to you? Oh, they say, in the next country, in the next country, they're starving people. So eat your food, eat your food. And there's scarcity, like culturally everywhere around the places you go, there's this scarcity mindset that's drummed into people. So, but the, the more you travel, the more you realise that it's ridiculous. And in fact, this morning when I was checking around and doing a few things. And I actually knew you were going to, you were going to quote the um, thing about the African kids. I think you said 20,000 kids this morning. It's actually 200,000. Wow. 10 X. Um, it's amazing. So, but that, that's been over a period of eight or nine years and that's consistently. And even just as I was thinking that this morning, I went, Oh my God, I picked up a client on, on last Tuesday and I forgot that every time I pick up a new client, I actually, I actually donate to these kids and, and, you know, pay for their education they, they learn english um they learn english they get fed and that's the thing it's not sort of me trying to colonize these people but saying yeah english is the language of the next generation it's the language of the internet and if these kids in africa and indonesia want to start trading internationally they need to speak english because they can trade online they can start drop shipping and little businesses and things like that where they don't need any capital so if they go to school and learn english we feed them if they don't go to school and learn English, then they're going to be maids and that sort of stuff. So even while I was waiting for this this morning, I just went, yeah, hey, actually, I made some money last week. I'm going to drop in. And this morning, just before breakfast, I paid for the education of 60 more kids. Wow. And, you know, for, for some people, they go, oh, I've got no money, I've got no money. But yet they went out and they had their avocado on toast this morning. I stayed home and had breakfast and paid for the education of 60 kids in Africa. So scarcity is bullshit. 
You know, if you've got $5 in your wallet, you are richer than two thirds of the African continent. Because these guys, like if they're getting less than a dollar a day, they don't have a week's wages in their back pocket any more than most of you guys would have a week's wages in your back pocket or a month's wages in your back pocket. So not only have you got $5 in your pocket, you've probably got, you know, $100 in the bank. And some of these guys, that's two years income for them. So the scarcity is an illusion. If you start to think about, you know, there, there's literally more than 50% of the world living on less than a dollar a day or less than $2 a day. And unless you've traveled, you don't see that firsthand and you just hear about it and you, you can, you can hear it all, but it's, it's, you got to take it to heart and say, wow, you know, there is no scarcity. There's an abundance. I've got so much food that I can't finish it. And I don't have to have my mum's voice in my ear saying, finish your peas because there's someone starving in China. That doesn't help the person starving in China finishing the peas. Maybe next time buy less peas so I'm not wasting the peas and then send 50 cents over to China. I don't know. Maybe travel over there. Maybe have a chat to people on Facebook or using whatever technology there is. I mean, I've, I've helped guys in Africa and Indonesia and, and China and other places set up businesses. Some of them I've met personally on my travels. Some of them they connect with me later on through social media and I have a chat with them like this. And it doesn't cost much. They borrow a mobile phone from someone. They have a video chat. You know, there's free Wi-Fi in the coffee shops and that sort of stuff. Because if you want to make a way, you'll find a way. Now, you don't need to have $5 to have a Skype chat with a millionaire. You know, you can actually do it if you just believe that you can. And some of these guys, they're literally so desperate because they're trying to feed five or six, seven kids on only a couple of dollars and they're so desperate and they don't have that fear of rejection. What if I contact Jeremy and he says no? What if I contact Jamie and he says no? What if I contact Tom and he says no? They just keep, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And eventually they pick up an idea and I've, I've changed a lot of people's lives by saying, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And knowing that you can have a business, like we just hear about drop shipping. Oh, you've heard of that. But over in Africa and over in Indonesia and parts of China and Southeast Asia and these sort of poorer countries, they think that in order to sell t-shirts, they have to go out and buy 50 t-shirts and then come back and sell them. They haven't heard of the dropshipping yet. They haven't got that concept in their head. And we are so saturated by ideas. And every night of the week in this country, there's a seminar on real estate or share trading or whatever, or whatever, a mindset or something. But, you know, when's the last time that you heard about the Tony Robbins seminar in, I don't know, Zimbabwe or bloody Uganda or something like that? Like, these people are just starving for ideas, absolutely starving for ideas and starving for money. And all it takes is one idea. You can send truckloads of money there and maybe you'll get frittered away, maybe you'll get stolen, taken by warlords. But you give one idea and that idea is going to get shared and shared and shared and shared and shared. And all of a sudden there's 50 people in Uganda who are doing drop shipping and you go, oh my God, this becomes a little virus and it transforms the lives of people. So... Yeah, it's, it's amazing that the, the scarcity mindset is an absolute illusion. And I don't know where it came from. It's been floating around in every culture, every society that I've ever been to. And as far as I know, it's been around for centuries. Maybe it's just a way of keeping us down. Yeah, maybe it's a way of just the, the, the oligarchs and, and the, the plutocrats who are around back in the 1500s saying, let them eat cake, just never wanted us to step above our station, never wanted the plebs to stage an uprising. And, yeah, for the normal people who become millionaires. I mean, you look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg, who had a bit of a privileged upbringing going to a you know, private school and that sort of stuff, but come out of nowhere. And now he's richer than, than some of these kings and queens. And they just sort of look at him, who's, who's this little upstart? You know, like, we've had our money for centuries in the pound land. But like, they would be upset by that. So fuck them, just do it. You might have to edit that bit. But, you know, if you, if you don't like the people who are running the world and the people who have got all the money and people who have got all the power, then you can't beat them. So join them. 
you know, step up there with your ideas and your empowerment and things like that. Because sharing these ideas is so much easier. Now we have social media. Now we can all connect. Now we can all get behind these movements like the Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement and all this sort of stuff. But we don't need to wait for a, a French revolution before we all grab our pitchforks and storm the palace. We can actually go out there with a new idea, a fresh idea, a fresh way of being. And what's to stop you know, half the country becoming millionaires? Absolutely nothing. It doesn't take away from anybody else for you to make a million bucks or for me to make a million bucks or for someone else to make a million bucks. It doesn't take away from anybody else. And yes, there's people out there who are jealous of Zuckerberg and he's a rat bag and he's evil and whatever. Maybe that's conditioning because I haven't heard about him you know, wiping out people or genocidal maniac Mark Zuckerberg, anything like that. He's employing millions of people. He's developing new technologies. Yes, he's made some mistakes. He's, you know, upset some people's privacy and things like that. But, I mean, the kid's basically a two-year-old toddler growing into this big world. He's come from nowhere in the last 10 years and changed the face of the world and how we connect with each other. He's bound to make mistakes. And maybe someone deliberate, maybe, maybe someone deliberate, I don't know. But there's nothing to stop anybody else from inventing the new technology and you don't have to be a billionaire zuckerberg on the face of every every magazine but maybe just make a million bucks and change your family and maybe set up each of your kids with a business or each of your kids with an investment property or something like that because the only thing that's stopping you is number one you don't believe that you can and number two you don't know how and changing your belief system is easy <laughs> and then finding out how as i said in this country we're spoiled for choice there's a there's a seminar every single night of the week you know some of the knowledge that I've picked up from going to free seminars night after night after night. And like I'd go to the same free seminar again and again and again, never learning any new information, but thinking, oh, on Wednesday night, I might meet someone new. On Thursday night, I might pick up a client. On Friday night, I might meet some hot chick or whatever, you know, and go to the same seminars. But after 10 times you've been to the same seminar, it's built in your head. And then I can go and deliver that seminar in another culture, in another country. Yeah. And these people are gobsmacked because they've never heard anything like it before. And I, I was just thinking out loud as well. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. Great insight. One of your slogans at the end of your show that you did, the, the boomerang, the wealth boomerang show was what you give back, what you give comes back to you tenfold. Yeah. So do you feel that that coupled with knowledge can help people overcome scarcity mindset? Is that how you'd sort of summarize that bit that you just said? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, what, what you send out comes back to you. That's, you know, some people say, oh, that's a Christian thing or that's a Buddhist thing or that's a, it's a Jewish thing or it's a spiritual thing. It's a universal thing. And every single religion, depending on which religion you're, bring, you're brought up in, you'll go, oh, that's mine. You know, if you're Buddhist, you go, oh, that's mine. Or if you're Christian, that's, that's mine. And they can reference it from the Bhagavad Gita or they can reference it from the Bible or whatever. But it's a universal law. That's why it's in every single religion. Whatever you send out comes back to you. Yeah. And sending out knowledge is, is a lot easier and a lot more infectious and a lot more empowering than sending out money. Yes, I can donate you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I, I don't think that you know, if Bill Gates gives $100,000 to a village in Uganda, that suddenly the village in Uganda is going to become a billionaire village and donate half a billion dollars back to Bill Gates. That's not how it works, you know but it comes back through empowering them. And maybe these guys learn English and maybe they connect up to Microsoft products and maybe they start utilizing technology and drop shipping and that sort of stuff. And that helps him long-term. Maybe it helps the world long-term. Maybe one of those guys in the Uganda village is going to become a doctor who, you know, generates some new life-saving idea that ends up saving Bill Gates' life 50 years down the track. I don't know. It's going to come back to you somehow. 
But, you know, you know, when I was starting out, I had no money, but I had time. And that's why I would go and work at McDonald's for $3.15 an hour, you know. And I had ideas of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be, but I had no ideas of how I was going to get there. But slowly but surely, you pick up, oh, one of my friends did this, and I heard about a guy who did this, and I borrowed a library book, and I read Awaken the Power Within, and this sort of stuff. And you start getting these ideas, and you share these ideas with others, and other people share ideas back with you. And an idea that I give to you goes, oh, that makes me think of something else. And then you give an idea back to me. And all of a sudden, both of us have now got two ideas. Whereas if I give you a dollar, you go and buy a burger. That's it. There's no more dollar left. But um, the ideas have, have a way of changing the world. And now that we can share them with many more people right across the planet, it's, it's absolutely amazing what's happening in the last few years. It's just, I remember the days before the internet, you know, kids, I remember the days where I'd have to, I'd have to hand write a letter to someone and fax it to them because there was no email. So it's just astonishing what can be done now. And, and even some of the videos that I've made on YouTube, I go, oh my God, this is the greatest idea ever and it's going to be fantastic and 10 people will watch it. And then I come up with some really lame idea that's been said a hundred different times before by a hundred different people before me. And then people go, oh my God, it's so innovative because it came from my point of view and from Australian, little Australian bloke rather than some you know, big American on stage. Yeah. And so they get shared 10,000 times. And I go, that's weird. You guys are sharing that. I didn't even think it was a good idea, but whatever. Yeah. So sharing ideas and, and, and they used to say, do what you love and the money will follow. And if that was true, then you could lie on the lounge all day reading phantom comics and you'd get rich. It's not true. Not do what you love. Some people just sit at home and play with themselves in the bathtub. I don't know what you do, but what, what you love, like meditating, right? Yeah. I'll just stay at home all day and meditate, but sharing what you love. If I shared about meditating, then people would start to say, ask me questions and they want me to consult or they want me to teach them meditation. If you love comics or you love watching movies, share that, review them, talk about them. That's when you start to become a consultant. That's when you start to become a media star on you know, reviewing movies. There's people who get paid to watch movies because they share their opinion, not just because they're sitting around watching movies. But always share what you love and then the money will come. And again, send what, whatever you send out, comes back to you send out knowledge send out experience send out ideas and the great thing is if you want to make money you can't go and educate cats and dogs and and you know lemons it's only people have money only people have money so if you're sharing ideas with people you're empowering people that's where you're going to get the cash flow back into your life if that's what you want if that's what you want if you if you want wealth in the form of cash then sure otherwise you want wealth in the form of people adoring you and you know throwing roses on stage or throwing your underpants on stage or whatever they do on stage these days i'm not sure but people loving you people connecting with you relationship if that's what's important to you that's what you're going to get now share your ideas with people and you've got a clever way of sharing as well and empowering jeremy i remember you i remember back in the day you said to me go and download this uh, audio book called wink and grow rich Mm -hmm. I was like, why should I do that? And he said, just do it. So I went and did it. Like It's almost like you just gave me a task. And, and then I read the book. And it's amazing. Your approach is so different to any approach I've ever had in coaching-wise. So <laughs> compliments, mate. It's, it's almost like I was second-guessing what – there come a time where initially I was second-guessing, but then I understood mm. the process on how you were – almost subliminally suggesting for me to you know read stuff that would improve my mindset so um compliments on that uh you you said that your passions have changed with time um mate what do you 
proud of in your life right now and and what do you what's your biggest passion and project in your life right now that you're working on that you'd love to see flourish cool um i'm working on a few things at the moment um so it, it's it's really hard to say i, I think i've got the, the similar disease to, to branson um you know whether it's a disease or whether it's a, a superpower i'm not sure because back back in the day when branson was born they didn't have the diagnosis of, of adhd so if someone went from one task to the other to the other to the other they just say oh that's just him being him yeah. And thank God no one ever medicated Branson. Um, no one ever medicated me either. So, you know, that's why I was able to go from one business to the other business to the other business. And, you know, right now I'm excited about wedding dresses. Oh, now I'm excited about mobile phones. Now I'm excited about financial planning. Now I'm excited about this. And so, you know, even now, like I'm, I'm coaching some financial planners. I'm coaching business owners. Uh, I'm coaching like some hippie businesses like massage therapists and, and, and this sort of stuff. And, and meditation teachers. I'm also running a, a cryptocurrency ETF fund. So it's sort of, I'm still passionate about the financial side of things, but more about the, the education. So even with the, with the crypto, it's not like, oh, we promise we're gonna make you a million bucks, but we're, we're running this fund and we're teaching people, we're empowering people, educating people. We interview the CEOs of different, um, different cryptocurrencies and say, hey, what's your project about? How do you improve the world? You know, what do you do for us really? Um, and, and helping people to learn things about that. And my, my first book, Who's Taking Your Money and How to Get Some of It Back, was educating people about who's, who is taking your money. Well, it's the electricity company, it's the car company, it's the whoever. All the people that you pay bills to, the groceries, these people are taking your money. So it's up to you to find out what they're doing with it, how they're investing it, and how you can get some of this money back. Because even if you've invested back into you know, Coles and Woolworths and Caltex and, and Shell sort of back in the day, you know, even now they're still making money. You're paying your mortgage or you're paying whatever to the, to the bank, your, your car loan to the bank. The bank's making money. Why not go and buy some bank shares? You know, invest into the companies that you're actually giving money to on a, on a daily basis. So um, I'm, I think the, the big thing for me is, you know, one of my other bylines is abundance through education. And again, abundance could be money. It could be abundant health, abundant healthy relationships, abundant vitality whatever you want to have it all comes down to the education the reason why we're living longer now and having greater lives than than the kings and queens better diets than the kings and queens from like 200 years ago is because we're now educated about it's not good to eat lard and dripping on on toast every single day you know maybe you want to include some fruit and veggies in your diet and why you want to eat tomatoes and why you want to eat these things so you know my, my third book um get healthy wealthy fast was about juice fasts and water fasts and you know you can again you can make money from fasting you know you get such clarity of mindset um but also you get wealthy health you know you get vibrant relationships and things like that you just feel so much better and you can do more and you have more energy and that sort of stuff so i've, I've got multiple projects mate. i think um still going on with them is you know, just loving education, loving health, loving vitality, just loving being abundant in all areas. Like what else can I, I be abundant in? What else can I be wealthy in? I don't know. Wealthy spirituality for some people, you know, but it's a lot easier to be meditating in, in the mountains of Tibet if you've actually got food in your belly and if you know where your next meal's coming from, you know. So you, you've got to have money. You don't need to have 70 billion, but you've got to have enough that's your comfort level. And again, you know, you can't live on $2 a day in Australia. Maybe you could if you were in Africa. But if you want to stay in this society, then maybe, you know, set yourself up in such a way that you don't need to be sacrificing all your time or all your health 
to get that money. You know, there's better ways of doing things. So yeah, I'm, I'm always doing multiple projects. Ask me again in three weeks time, I'll have a different project. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the outcome's still the same, right? You positively, you know, the intent is to positively help people become greater versions of themselves and succeed in what they do. So, you know, Absolutely. I think the intent's always... Um, yeah, financially, spiritually, healthily, you know, relationship-wise, whatever, as, as I say, whatever's valuable to you right now. And again, that will change over time. You know, yeah. when I was 15 or 16, I just wanted a girlfriend. Um, all of my mates had girlfriends, but all my mates played footy and I, was, I really sucked at footy. So I was skinny because I never, never played on the footy field. Um, and that's when I discovered Arnie and, and started going, okay, I can go to the gym. I can lift heavy things. It doesn't matter if I drop them. No one's going to no jeer at me or, or clap if I drop it or if I pick it up. I would build my body so that I could actually get a girlfriend because girls like muscles, you know? And then over time, I discovered girls like cars and girls like other things and girls like the guy who dressed well. So, oh, I'll, I'll start making some money so I can actually do those. That was my big driver when I was 15, 16. Obviously, over time, that changed, you know? And as I say, you become more invested in, in building a house and having a fast car. And you go, okay, look, now I want a better relationship. Now I want better spirituality. Now I want to take some time off. I want to go on holidays for a month. You know, I used to have a, a month holiday every year. Um, and then I set myself up for like 12 or 15 years where I just had the weekends and I worked two days, have Wednesday weekend, I work two days and, and have another couple of days off. And living the laptop lifestyle in Bali where I'd, I'd start work just after sunrise, after my meditation because it was like three hours behind in, in Australia. So like six, seven in the morning, it's nine o'clock on the East Coast. I'd, I'd be chatting to clients. And then by you know one o'clock in the afternoon, it was four o'clock in Australia, I'd knock off at, at lunchtime and spend the rest of the day on the beach and, and doing my thing. So whatever you want to have, whether it's more free time, more money, more relationships, more health, more whatever, um, absolutely, there's a way to get that. There's someone who knows what you don't know and you just got to connect with them. And for the people who I connected with and, you know, Dave Shermer, he just wanted a bigger audience. And there's a lot of people who'd seen Dave Shermer on The Secret, um, but a lot of people hadn't. So for me to put him on a New York radio show, that was a great thing for him. And, you know, there, there's some people I remember when I was still in my teens, there was someone in my town who had a super duper fancy convertible car. And I just loved it. I just adored this freaking thing. And every time I saw it parked out in front of a shopping centre or parked somewhere, I'd put a little note on the windscreen saying, I'll wash your car for free because I just want to be legally allowed to touch it. <laughs> and after about the eighth or ninth time that I'd left this note, I, I got a phone call and it surprised me because it was actually a girl and she was only young. She was you know, super cute as well. Um, but her parents were very wealthy and they had multiple businesses around town. And she's like, why do you keep leaving notes on my car? I said, because I just think your car is gorgeous and fabulous and I want to be able to legally touch it. She's like, okay, that's a bit weird. But she understood about goal setting because her parents had drilled that into her. Yeah, you know, her parents were from a wealthy background, so they taught her that stuff. I was only just learning this stuff myself. And um, yeah, change your life, mate. change your life. You can always offer something that you've got. You've got time. If you don't have money, you've got plenty of time. Yeah. So find out what a wealthy person wants and give it to them. And for a lot of these guys, as I say, like I, I fell into that radio show. I didn't design it. You know, I accidentally got interviewed for that show and then they said, we like you so much, we want you to run the show. And I'm like, okay, but I've got nothing to talk about. I said, find someone else to interview. And I'm like, oh, I know lots of smart people. I've read lots of books. So I can phone the guys who wrote the books. And funnily enough, they wanted to share their information with more people. They wanted more audiences. They wanted to share their story. So yeah. everybody's got a need. you just got to find it. Mate, what, what's your legacy, your overarching legacy 
you know, if you think about Jeremy Britton's bequeathment to the world, <laughs> what what is it? Well, uh, ask me again in five years. You know, ask ask Branson what his was twenty years ago. His answer would have been very different to what it is now. Uh, the answer is I don't know. I mean, right now it's as I say, it's it's abundance through education. It's it's empowerment. It's wealth in all areas. Um, I'm not sure if I'll go beyond that. Maybe I will. Maybe there'll be something invented in, in a few years' time that gives us the power to live forever and, you know, there's universal basic income and there's no starving in the world and we're focusing on different problems. I have no idea. But um, right now, I would want to empower as many people as I can. You know, get the mindset and try the strategies and don't be afraid to fail. You know, when we're kids, like you're learning to walk and you fall down 10 times before you actually take your first few steps and your parents are cheering you on. Um, and then a few years later, you're learning to ride a bike and you fall over 10 times before you actually get the hang of it. Your parents are cheering you on. But then, you know, when you're 15, you're saying, mom, I want to be a gynecologist. And she's like, well, you didn't even pass biology. You can't do that. And at some stage, our parents, our peer groups, our teachers stop cheering us on. It's usually in high school and we're all becoming more sort of socially awkward and, and, and scared and that sort of stuff. And we lose that capacity for just try again, try again, try again. And we let that burning desire kind of simmer down and, and disappear. But there's some people, if you can manage to keep that going or if you can manage to get someone to help you to fire it up, you, you really will change the world. Yeah, I agree, mate. So um, education through abundance. I, wanna, I, I usually ask my guests for book recommendations. Mm-hmm. So over and above your books, which I'll put in the show notes, so yeah. that we can spread the message and get people to read your books. Um, what, what would be one book that has fundamentally changed your mindset around money that we could put in the show notes? I def- definitely. Um, when I refer to the Bible, I'm of course talking about think and grow rich. Um, because, I mean, that was written by a Christian guy, but it was the antithesis of what the church was teaching at the time. And it was a very bold move. And um, uh, success through a positive mental attitude. I mean, any, anything by Carnegie or Napoleon Hill um, are fantastic. Like the classics. They're classics because they're classic. They're good. And you, you need to go back and read them again and again and again. Um, and that's what I say with, with my second book, um, Hot Frog, Cool Frog, because you read it the first time. And then you read it again a month later and it's different. And you read it again a month later and it's different. You go, hang on, I don't remember that part. But it's, it's like watching, like I watched Greece when I was a kid. My parents took me to see Greece. It was just all singing and dancing and la, 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 la. But then you watch it again as an adult and go, my God, this is really rude. <laughs> and the movie hasn't changed, but I have. All right? And you read Think and Grow Rich again two years later and you have changed. And the yeah. book suddenly starts to gel a bit more and you, and you read hot frog, cool frog, three, four, five times in a row because I've, I've deliberately put post-hypnotic suggestion in there. I've deliberately put these ideas in there that start to simmer in the brain. And again, the more you do it, like exercise, the more you do it, the more it sinks in, the more it becomes part of you. If you had parents who were billionaire business owners, every day they'd be instilling in you, you can do it, you can follow your passion, you can do whatever you like. And after 20 years of that, you just suddenly become unstoppable. Yeah. But, you know, we've had society, we've, had, we've been brought up by TV mostly, by Hollywood mostly, and by our peer group, rather than the benevolent billionaire parent. So we have to battle against that. We have to put new things in, flush out the old crap. Yeah, so. 100%. 
Um, mate, I've got three rapid fire questions and then um, three to finish up with. So I'm going to jump right. into the rapid fire questions. Yeah. My yep. battery's about to go flat, so go rapid. Okay. <laughs> um, so what's one thing that people can do to live a happier life? Decide to be happy. Okay. Happiness is a decision. Agree. Agree. Um, what's one thing that people can do to live a more purposeful life? Decide to act like a five-year-old kid. Just love people, accept people, see them as they are on the inside, not how they are on the outside. And what's one thing that people can do to live a regret-free life? Do all the things that you wanted to do. I mean, um, I was suicidal many years ago. I was depressed many years ago. I've been abundantly happy for the last 10 or 15 years. But even if I was to wake up tomorrow and someone says, hey, you've got terminal cancer, you're going to be dead in three days, I'd go, you know what? That's okay. Like I've lived a fantastic life. I've done all the things that I've wanted to do so far. You know, all the things on my bucket list, I've done them. And I go, well, you know what? I'll, I'll think of another thing tomorrow. If I'm still here tomorrow, I'll think of another thing. But, you know, just do find a way find a way there's always someone who can help you and there's always a way for you to help them so true mate so true um all right so jeremy i'm gonna i'll i'll wrap up with this last question insightful um chat thanks so much and i guess the last question is this if it's the end of your time and i gave you a piece of paper and a pen and you had one piece of advice that you could write for future generations to inspire them to believe in themselves and their inner greatness, what would that one piece of advice be? Read, don't watch. Read, don't watch. I got rid of my TV. I had no TV in my house for eight years. After I realized the programming, all the ads on TV are act now, you'll miss out, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the news is always negative. It's always scarcity. Like stocks are limited on all, all the things. That's how they make us buy stuff. Stocks are limited. You'll have to wait. You know, you've got to get the new iPhone now. And the, the TV news is always bad news. They never show you the wonderful things that are coming out. So I just got rid of my TV. And then I would get my news through social media. I would Google things if I wanted to find out about latest technology or new business endeavors. Read. If you're not going to read books, then read the internet. But choose what you read because just programming that coming from the TV is just indiscriminate. And most of it's negative designed to keep you down, keep you frightened. Read, don't watch. Mate, that is brilliant. I stopped watching the news when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still informed right and you're a lot happier yeah i have not watched it in like seven years so um nice. and yeah you know i stay away from any negative news or any negative environment so mate that's an awesome tip and i think um the the, the listeners are really going to appreciate that um uh, jeremy i want to acknowledge you as you know, I'm so grateful for um, all the mentorship, all the time that you've given me over the years. Um, I sincerely hope that all the listeners will purchase your books, which I'll put on the show notes. I think it's the, the least that we can do to support you and your mission um, and continue the education through abundance and prosperity to further educate the children in Africa, which I think will be a great thing. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, mate. Great to hear how you're developing and how you're coming along. Yeah, I almost feel like you're one of my little adoptive babies. And <laughs> that's great. So uh, thank, thank you for the feedback. I mean, I, I do get feedback from some of the people that I coached um, who were literally begging on the streets in Africa like 10, 15 years ago. And um, you know, some of these guys who I, I didn't give them money, I gave them ideas. I empowered them. 
and sometimes I'd buy them a tool so they could actually you know, help out local business owners and things like that. And sometimes I hear back from these guys and I just go, oh, that's so sweet. I love it. You know, I love hearing about how the story ends. You know, you always see how the story begins, but you don't see how the story ends and, and where, it, where it goes to and who it impacts. What an incredible chat with Jeremy Britton, one of my first mentors in personal development. I really hope you guys love that talk with Jeremy. Uh, if you loved it as much as I did, please over to head over to iTunes and leave me a great review. If you thought it was fantastic, please leave me a five-star review. That helps me get this show out to more people and inspire more people to believe in the inner greatness and self-belief, which is really what this is all about. Um, tag me on social media and please let me know who you'd like on the show. Thanks for tuning into today's show. I love you guys so very much. I really appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening, for sharing, for your insight. Let me know who you want on the show as well. Um, do send me a, a personal DM on uh, on Instagram or send send me an email and it would be so great to connect with you. Guys, I hope you have an inspiring week. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and unleash your inner greatness.